everybody, welcome to Player 456, a Squid Game podcast, the best Squid Game podcast on the internet, and joining me as always to discuss Squid Game is my friend and Phil fanatic, Colin McMillan, how are you mate? Hi mate, I'm really good, thank you, uh, really good. I've just this minute finished watching this episode that we're about to discuss, and I really, really enjoyed it, it was good, a total change in direction and pace from last week, but I think that was needed, and um, really enjoyed it, and looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, me too. I don't. I've got my qualms about this episode, but on second watch through, it wasn't as jarring as on first watch. And I don't know if that was because the whole thing was dubbed rather than the subtitles, and then the quite jarring nature of the VIPs and their dialogue and stuff, which we will we will get to. But if there was any doubt, we had a discussion last week about whether or not Ali was killed on or off of screen. Well, he's dead here right at the start, and that's basically how this. Episode opens up, close up of Ali's face before that gift box thing is closed upon him. The camera zooms out, cuts to a monitor in the control room and the front man gets a call revealing that the intruder is basically still running about on the loose. Uh, this place is massive by the seams of it. Um, it seems like there's lots of places that you could hide and things like that. So John Ho is running about, but these VIPs are going to be arriving soon. Again, We've heard these guys get discussed. What were your first thoughts when, well, when you've seen them and they are dual-encrusted masks? Um, so, I mean, the, the, I think the first one you see is, is the actual host, isn't it, with the owl mask on? That, that's a strange one, mate, because he's not really been mentioned before, the host. Yeah, um, well, it's, it's player number one, isn't it? That's, that's my assumption of who it is, and that's why he's only just became a thing now. Because up until now he's been a character in the game. That, that's that, that, I say that with real authority. It's, it's just what I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that that was my thoughts on him. And obviously he's he makes an excuse for why he can't meet the VIPs himself. Not sure what that is yet. But you see the mask. It's a little bit jarring. For what's this all about? Them I and the other ones arrived, and they've all got these different masks on. It's it's just really garish and awful looking. There's a little bit we'll talk about towards the end of the show about the masks and what the meanings of them are actually, which I think is quite interesting. You're obviously the numbers expert. I've become the masks expert this week. Okay, um, I don't so know. we'll cover that. Yeah, I don't know anything about the masks. I've not looked that much into it, but now that you mention it, it does make perfect sense that that's player 001 sitting there. You don't get to see his face, but you can tell that it's an old man. Yeah, You can tell it's an old guy sitting there. So yeah, that does make perfect sense. And like you say, that's maybe not why it's been mentioned so far. This, basically, this whole episode... Like you said, there's a change of pace and the setup is quite stark. But the overall purpose is to introduce us to these horrible, wealthy, mostly white guys um, that have organised this homicidal tournament that is meant to entertain them. There are, I think, six VIPs that turn up, mate. So there's six of them that turn up. Uh, but it's also a reminder that John Ho's sneaking about, which does provide that little bit of hope that this operation could still get taken down, I suppose. It does, yeah. It's, it's it's almost a bit of a reset episode of there's other stuff going on other than just the players. There's a bit more to this. There's the players behind the players, so to speak. And this is your first real introduction to them. They've been referred to in the past, but I don't think they really expected them to be like or appear like these ones did. But they're a major part of this episode. We'll probably cover them quite a lot. But there's still plenty going on with the actual players in the dormitory, and that's where we go back to. They all come back after the previous game, and they find uh, Manu sleeping in her bed and it's revealed that the the rules basically are based on the old playground rules that 
if, if you're the odd player out and you don't get picked for a team, you just don't have to play. I think everyone assumed that she couldn't get a partner last week, Jack. She was just going to be killed by default. But she wasn't, and she takes great delight in telling Jock through that, doesn't she? Yeah, I wasn't in the camp that automatically thought she was going to get murdered. I thought she was too much of an important character at that point to get taken away and just dealt with in inverted commas because we we do know that she promised basically that she was going to get her own back on Jock Shoe here basically and that's what does come to fruition during the game. But yeah, I wasn't in the camp that oh no she's been taken away and, and she she's murdered basically. So um I was not particularly surprised to see her there. But Jock Shoe is he's absolutely raging and two one two is my favourite favourite character in this episode. Um really not redeems herself because we've spoke about how she does kind of fluctuate between being really annoying and being pretty key in the episodes. So this episode, I think she's the more the the, the VIP basically or the MVP is probably a better the term for it. <laughs> yes, seventeen players are left now. Uh, the scoreboard, which has its own character, we've mentioned it before, shows seventeen and. 43,000, 43,900,000,001 are available to the winner. Now, there's a number, mate, so I'll just very quickly do this. Uh, number 17 does not represent a final de- destination, but rather a journey. So I think that's, yeah, these guys have been on a, <laughs> let's say, a journey um, to put a nice, shiny light on it. But yeah, they've went through a lot, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Um, one of the things that you also find out with this episode is you get a lot more insight into the front man, don't you? You get to see him doing more of his day-to-day stuff in the past. He's kind of almost been just a man that presses buttons and makes orders. This one, you actually see him searching the apartment, getting his gun out, um, greeting the VIPs. And when he learns that John Hole must have been in his apartment or might still have been, you realise that he's quite a clever switched-on guy because I don't know if I would have switched on or realised that the the phone receiver jack had been placed the wrong way and that's how he knew somebody been in his pot or sort of thing. I, I just don't think me being me would have noticed that, would you? What, you know that you being you wouldn't notice or me being yeah, me? Yeah, if it was me, right, I'd, and I had an old style phone like that with a wire, I would not have a clue what side the phone was put down on. I don't think there would be a side that I put it on, it would just be placed down whatever I felt like at the time. Yeah, I think that in that sense I would probably be the same where you just put the phone down, but if you do put it down the same way every time, it is something you would notice because the wires, obviously, on the other side, it would just look completely different. Again, I think this is another hint that um, this guy either has been part of the police in the past or maybe even in the military because the way he sort of hunts down the intruder and has already figured out that he's a member of the police because of the bullet and stuff like that, and the, the way that he's just walking through the corridors and... There's a precision to it as if he knows exactly what it is he's doing. I think he's got a little bit of previous military or police training um, that's been mentioned in the past anyway because he's not clueless. He knows exactly what's going on and, like I say, he just looks... He looks the part, basically. This is one thing as well. Because he looks the part, mate, like, obviously he's got the mask on all the time and when you watch it in the subtitled version, he speaks English. Now, when you watch that in a dubbed version, do you not know that he speaks English, because it's all English. Yeah, yeah. you just assume... Well, yeah, actually, that's a good point. You, Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. Wow. 
if you watch this from start to uh, finish in the dubbing, you would have no idea that the frontman had spoke English in parts. Yeah, no, you wouldn't actually, because there's nothing that comes up to differentiate it that tells you that he's speaking in a different language. So that's a really good point, actually. Just getting back to your police point, he's also very astute in that he makes the point and says out loud, "Why? what is a cop doing here on his own without a partner? Which shows a little bit of knowledge about you don't tend to get police going on undercover missions with no backup or doing the sort of thing this guy's doing without anybody else there to support him. Yeah, he's asking all the right questions, basically. But once the VIPs show up, he's basically pulled away to play host, uh, taking over from who we now presume is player 001 sitting there with his cat mask on. Because I, I was wondering, because you, you did see that uniform and the cat mask at a point when John Hall was sneaking about in a previous episode, just kind of there in the background, and that was a little bit jarring. So, yeah, he's asking the right questions. Although this is the most dialogue we've gotten from the man that you says the man in charge, uh, the masks, does hide his true feelings towards these guys, these VIPs, because he might be a hardened criminal ex-police officer, ex-military, but these guys are the real fucking disgusting ones, let's be honest, man. <laughs> like, they're the real lowest of the low, the, the billionaires, the multi-millionaires that bet millions of dollars on whether or not people will live or die. They're the, the true capitalists, again. Capitalism is bad, ding, ding, ding. But, yeah, we're not really sure how the frontman feels about them. Even though he's got that mask on, I do get the feeling that he's, he's not particularly keen on them. Yeah, he's also he's also bearing in mind that what he's having to do in this episode, mate, isn't what he should be doing. This is the host's job that he stepped into. So maybe dealing with these VIPs and being so closely with them and actually hosting the night, that's not what his job is. His job is, host, is, is running the games. And he's now trying to balance the two of these um, by... Playing the act of the, of the, the kind of the, the host, really grateful, really happy to do everything for these people, making sure all their needs and wants are catered for, and he's actually he's he's doing his, his boss's job really here, so he's probably not used to dealing with the VIPs either, regardless of what his feelings are for them. So I think that's quite an interesting point as well. You starting to feel a bit sorry that he's got to juggle these two jobs, man. Oh, yeah, I feel, well, you know what it's like in your if your boss paps 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 one of his jobs onto you to do. And it's not—it's something that's quite big in terms of dealing with VIPs. You would be a little bit nervous about it because it's not it doesn't come naturally to you, and it's not what you should be doing. So you've you've got that sort of element to it as well, I think. Yeah, we do jump back to the dorm here, and what did they get for dinner this time? I think they've had sweet corn in the past. Yeah, one tonight is, yeah, tonight is one potato, and it doesn't <laughs> even look—it doesn't even look cooked. Like I don't think it's cooked. No. Yeah, they're holding it in their hand, and if it was a jacket potato, it would be warm or hot. You couldn't do that. And there's a couple of crunching scenes where it just sounds really crunchy. Um, I don't think I could eat a raw potato. I, d- I just don't think I could do it. It's disgusting. No, I don't think I could do it myself, mate. Now, supposedly, this was the moment that I've been waiting for the whole show. Um, you can see the paintings on the wall. Didn't see any of them, missed them. Oh, me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Right, okay. Right, you need to go back and watch it again. There's, there's, there's the scene where they all end up back in the dorm. You can see like little, it's black sort of stick men on the walls, and you see the tug of war. You can see the running and the big doll head, the doll face. Um, you can even see the a bit of the bridge and the tug of war. It's, it's all there, and this oh, is the dear. most clearest bit you can see it. <laughs> no, I missed him this day. I wasn't on the lookout for it. again, sort of taking notes and trying to drill down into 
themes and things like that rather than looking for it actually what's in front of my eyes. So I missed them. I'll need to go back or I'll need to just look up the screenshots at some point because it's really fucking annoying me that I've been looking out in every other episode until now and then just missed them there, man. Um, what's, what's 69 doing at the time, like the, the husband? Because we don't see what happened in the Marbles game, but the wife isn't there. So obviously he won in inverted commas. So yeah, 69 um, is, is obviously probably in a worse place than MDLs because the person that he's beaten in the Marbles game is his wife, which is pretty horrific. And he starts trying to get the remaining players to have another vote about finishing the game and ending it at this point, um, which is quite strange because nobody's tried to do this at any point since back in episode two. Um, he would need to get nine of the remaining 16 players to vote in favour of ending it. And he has a bit of a speech, but it's Sang Wu who stands up and basically just shuts him down completely. Says some pretty some pretty cruel and hard-hitting facts to him. Um, if we stop, will your wife not be dead anymore? Um, that sort of thing. Everybody else stays quite kind of quiet. Even Jihan, who is normally one of the guys that jumps up and is always nice and tries to look out for people. But at this point in the game, I don't think MD's up for quitting Jack or giving up. And his plea falls on deaf ears, which I think raised an interesting question I wanted to ask you. Had he been successful at this point? Would he have actually got the money for his wife being eliminated? Because um, you were getting 100 million each. The families of the dead were getting 100 million, weren't they? So, had he been able to get them all to quit the game, he'd be the one that walks through 100 million won. Perhaps, yes. Like, you mentioned that before, but did, uh, after the, because they did all leave, did they not? They all voted. So, did the players' families that died in the first game get the money? Because this is a second squid game, really. Yeah, the assumption or is, that is it still the same game running through that? That's part of it. The invitation back, the same set of players. Yeah, I, f- I think the assumption is that you would the family, the dead one, they did get it, only because I think if they hadn't, they would have made that clear in the show just to show more of the ruthlessness and shittiness of the people running this game. Yeah, maybe Sangwoo becomes total robo dickhead in this game, like ultimate heel, ultimate bad guy. This is he's been obviously. We've spoke about how much we hate him, but we've kind of understood some of his choices, especially in the Marbles game. So he goes full on logical brutality, just robo fanny here, man. Like everybody else is obviously absolutely shitting themselves after losing everybody, but he's still got that cold, calculated brain. There's no way that he's giving the money up again, hinting towards bankers and the like, only caring about the money. Do you think that the number of players here that's been down, um, well, still at 17 quite at the moment, I think some of them would have been let's leave because they must be twigging ever so slightly that, look, a whole bunch of us aren't going to be winning this. Yeah, there's when this next um, game starts, there's a few characters you've not really seen of yet that kind of make their first real appearances and they're the ones that you think maybe be tempted to have gone. The so-called weaker ones that... And, seven prior episodes haven't established themselves as being strong players or having a story to tell really so yeah possibly would he have got nine people I'm not sure he would have had enough to do that um, but I think I, I, don't, I don't think Sangwe would have, allowed, would have allowed it I think he would have talked everybody down and talked them round and probably made more logical sense than the, the widowed husband probably did with his points about how far they've all came the cost of everybody who died here so far we've lost hundreds of people are we just going to go back to our old shitty lives with all our problems with nothing to show for that? And I think that would probably have swung most people to stay. Yeah, I would imagine so. These VIPs, they arrive um, not by boat. 
obviously, but the playground of billionaires, basically, they arrive in a helicopter and they've got these gold masks on the front man says, hello, uh, welcomes them. There's some interesting dialogue here, though, Colin, that definitely hints towards there being other games, other squid games happening, not just in Korea, but it would appear all over the world. Yeah, I think so. Um, there's a, a couple of things that stand out, just and it's all things that are just said in passing between these guys. Um, the games this time have been amazing. Um, the contest in Korea was the best. And um, one of them talks about how big his TV is at home, but makes the point that nothing beats seeing the games with your own eyes, which makes it sound as if these guys just tour the world, doesn't it? Viewing these viewing these games and seeing all the differences. Um, you also get a, a particularly shocking bit here where the, the widowed husband is shown on screen killing himself, Jack. And one of the VIPs starts shouting, no, no, don't do it, don't do it. And you begin to think there's almost a bit of compassion there, but it's not. It's revealed that he had a £1 million bet on the guy winning the games, and that was the only reason they didn't want him to win. Um, to, to just add up to more vileness and disgust, the reason that the guy bet on him was because he was number 69. Yeah, that's it. They're really, um, they've written this guy in that way because he gets a bit of, a bit of comeuppance, really, so you need to really not like this guy even more than the other. VIPs, um, because he does pick 96 later on, but I will get to it because that's... I never got 69 before, so I may as well jump to a 96. It's like, oh my God, you, you, <laughs> like not only are you killing people, you're just a vile creature. Like, the other survivors didn't even notice that 69 Kindles killed himself during the night. Again, I, I think this just might be some sort of commentary on like suicide being a silent killer, basically, or something that can go very much unnoticed, even in such close quarters with people. I think there's maybe some sort of commentary there. I think the creator's very much got his sort of socialist values, or maybe let's let's call them left-leaning, or whatever you want to call them, but I definitely think there's some sort of commentary there that even though you can be in a room with somebody killing themselves and not notice, because Ji-Hoon's uh, face is just one of shock and despair, really. These people are broken. But that leaves 16 players left, so that's another number, mate. Um, I couldn't find much about this, to be honest with you, but 16 is a number of introspection. It's wise, intuitive, and tends to be independent. I suppose in this next game, you, you have to be independent, or in the last game, you particularly had to be independent. So there's, again, maybe just drilling a little bit too deep into it, but there might be. There might be something there, but John Ho's running about. Colin, what's he up to? Um, John Ho is um, he's his story's like getting a bit tense, isn't it? His has becomes the almost thriller part of the TV show at this point. Um, he's infiltrated the VIP party by basically taking the place for a waiter that he's kind of overpowered and taking the clothes off the clothes off of. Sorry, and um, he's now going to have direct access to the VIPs, which will I'm sure be interesting and give him some more answers to all these questions that he's got. Um, we go back to the dorm after this, Jack, and the players wake up, and that's when they start to see the husband been put into a casket. But like you said, nobody seems all that shocked by it. Dare I say it? It's almost like they're just getting used to death, and it's it's not as jarring anymore or shocking to them because they've been surrounded by it now for such a, a long time. Yeah, I think you can become institutionalised within a scarily short period of like three weeks. Or maybe three months. Like once you've been incarcerated for three months, that's your institutionalising. You're used to it, and this is like a hyper 
speedy version of that, and yeah, I think they are just shrugging their shoulders, saying, oh well, part of the game. Basically, they're, they're disgusting now, but Colin, they, they don't seem to be getting a wash, clean clothes, covered in blood. And again, is that for the VIP's benefit, do you think? Look, look how dirty and scummy they are. Like, Or is it just a case of they don't, <laughs> they don't want to waste money and getting them clothes and stuff like that? I don't really know. They're just treating them like shit, basically. I think that's it in a nutshell. They're just treating them badly. And um, probably logistically, um, try to get 456 showers done in the morning before a trial was probably quite difficult. <laughs> it's probably easier now with 16. They probably could do it if they wanted. I mean, they, they, they later on in the show for the final game, they all managed to get cleaned up and look very smart and nice. So there is facilities there, but they haven't done it. And I suppose it's all just part of making them dirty, making them filthy, making them desperate, making them every even just looking at themselves, they're reminded of what they're doing and stuff like that. Um, but it is horrible, like dried blood, probably other people's blood on you the day after and stuff like that. It's it's pretty grim. Yeah. So what does this fifth game involve? Because the we spoke about the sets and how you we, you could kind of got a, a little bit bored with the the childish setup, so they changed that very well in Gangbu. They've changed it up again here, mate. But what is the what's the game? So this is probably the most. I think it's probably the most impressive game. Um, from a from a visual point of view, Jack, um, the game basically involves a glass stepping stone bridge, and it's a solo game. Um, first one since the honeycomb, and um, first of all, the players arrive in an empty room where they have to choose between numbered vests between one to sixteen. Um, at first, the usual suspects all kind of charge into the middle and choose the middle ones. Um, once they all take, and the religious guy takes number six because on the sixth day, God made man. Um, at this point, to kind of hurry the rest of them along, though, uh, the front man reveals that the numbers are the order of which they'll play the game. And this is when Jihan seems to have a wee bit of a breakdown, Jack, at this point, trying to choose between number one and number 16. Um, is it wise to go first when you don't really know, you haven't had a chance to suss out the whole game? Or is it more dangerous going 16 than going last when you might run out of time? Um, however, this all accumulates in, in um, Jihan Ho getting to show us his compassionate side and his good side when 96 asks him to swap and gives him a kind of heartfelt reason as to why he should do it and he does it um, again just kind of showing everybody that he is the man well that is it yes this um, you mentioned a close to a breakdown and it's his thoughts here remember we were trying to figure out whether it was his thoughts that we heard in an earlier episode I think it was the Honeycomb episode I think this would indicate that they've already done that um, but yeah He's, he's going over all the sort of possibilities in his head and it must be absolutely terrible trying to figure out what's coming next because you've no idea if going first is an advantage or a real disadvantage. But yeah, he's compassionate enough. He, he lets a guy tell him a, a sad story about taking control of his life and leading the, the troops, basically. And fuck me, uh, what a terrible, terrible choice for number 96. Yeah, thank um, God he did. Mm-hmm, that is it. Again, this, this setting... Is different. I think the the circus element of it pretty much is there to highlight just how much of a game and how much fun that these VIPs find us um, going to the circus somewhere that I think you would a only ever go if you were a child or go with your children. Um, I don't think there's any. I don't think you just get a bunch of teenagers going to uh, the circus to be perfectly honest with you. But again, just a different setting and it ties in with. Uh, the VIPs and how little they think of 
human life and how much they think of it as just being entertained, basically. Yeah, I mean, the circus is a bit of a freak show, isn't it? And that kind of ties in with what their thoughts are on the, the people doing the games. So you, you now get to see what the actual game is, what what they're actually expected to do here. Um, they go into another room, and this big, massive glass bridge has been constructed, and it's got 18 pairs of tiles, um, one on the left and one on the right. One's made of normal glass, and one's made of tempered glass. And what that means is they have to cross the bridge, only stepping on the tempered glass tiles, which are strong enough to hold two people, but stepping on a normal one, which are too weak to even hold one person, you'll fall to your death. And uh, what that means, Jack, is that you've got a 50-50 chance on each step of dying or progressing. But there's 18 steps. And I spoke to a friend of ours tonight who has got a maths degree and got him to work this out for me. If you go first, um, you've got a, the odds of doing it is 1 in 262,144. Yeah, 2 to the power of 18, that is. Yeah. Because yeah. the maths guy, who is number 3, I think, who... Jihun tried to team up with, or he tried to team up with Jihun before the Marvels game. He obviously survived that Marvels game, but he's got 15 left to go, and he cal- calculates it's been yeah, 32,000 when there's 15, so it's yeah, 2 times 2 times 2 times 2 times 2 times 2, 18 times, basically. So, yeah, it'd be like flipping a coin 18 times in a row and getting t- 10, again, 18 heads or tails. Yeah. yeah. No it's chance. Impossible, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So they go, they go in numeric order, which obviously works out great for Sang Wu 14, Sebu 15, and Jihun number 16. They're all at the end of the line, but you've got the Juxu and uh, Minyo basically as 9 and 11. So they're going to meet in the middle at some point. Pretty much impossible to make it through. Because the number of players has whittled down to 16, uh, you've mentioned this here that. You get to see every player's facial expression as they cross the bridge. The tension's quite good here, Colin. This, however, is where I've got a little bit of qualms about the length of the episode. I think there's a little bit too much on the bridge for for my liking. Yeah, I I thought, I'm not saying it's like overly boring or anything like that. I just feel like it could have been five minutes shorter, maybe even just ten minutes shorter. I think they spend a little bit too much time up there, but I don't think you particularly agree with me on that. I don't actually, but that's fine. That's that's allowed. Um, I, I enjoyed the, all the bridge parts. I thought the built tension. I thought it really gave the actors a chance to shine as well, and that you got to see individual facial impressions. What they did really well as well, I thought, was as each player fell to their death. Um, at the, the first person that fell, fell, you saw them falling, and the camera cut away. The next person, you, you got to see them fall a little bit longer. Then the camera cut away, and it gradually built up to, I think, the fifth or the sixth death. And that was the person you saw actually crush and hit the ground and the noise and everything. And you saw the blood and their face all mangled, and it was horrific. But there was also a moment when it was one of the female um, players. The camera just showed her face just as the glass broke, and it was amazing. It just was such a good scene. Her face told a million stories, the fear, the concern and all that. It was just amazing. And it was good to let some of these players that you've not really had much of a much screen time or much of a story or backstory have, give them their little moments on the bridge. Um, so, yeah, I, I disagree with that. I enjoyed the bridge scenes. I would have quite happily watched the full 15 minutes, I think. Right, OK. Uh, Juxu sort of ends up at the front of the line eventually. He's number nine, so he's still got five panels left to cross and he knows he probably won't make it, so he becomes a massive dickhead again and basically says, I'm not going. 
so somebody else needs to go. The guy behind him obviously doesn't want to. I think he throws him off. He tries to jump on and Jokshu just murders him basically. But that leaves Minyu to sort of catch up with him here. Calls him a little dick pushy basically. Um, the worst thing that she'd done was have that awful sex scene in, in the toilet. And then I don't know what the, the gangster was expecting here when she jumped onto his panel. Of course, she was going to grab onto him and try and do something. Did you? You must have seen that kind of mile away, man. Like she's going to try and murder him. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, and it just it just worked out perfectly in that you got to see him being awful and being the bully that he's been the whole show so far. Uh, take a few more people out, and then it comes to her, and she's so cool. She's so collected. Um, she's calmer than she's been before. She's speaking. You can actually tell it maybe for the first time in the show. She's actually believing the words that she's saying. And she's not acting up. She's not playing up. It's her kind of speaking from the heart almost. Like, you absolutely double-crossed me. You treated me like shit. I slept with you in these toilets. And now I'm in control and I'm going to get you just like I said I would. It's it's brilliant, actually. Really, really good. Yeah, wraps her arms round, clasps her fingers, which I'd imagine makes it pretty impossible to get somebody off of you if you've got that much of a grip on you, especially when they are so hell-bent on murdering you. and takes the decision to not only kill herself, but uh, kill 101. It's a bit of slow motion here, is that right? The way they fall down and stuff like that. Like They don't use a lot of camera tricks a lot in this. They do a little bit of slow motion later on with the bridge blowing up as well. So again, I think they're just maybe throwing that in just to sort of mix it up a little bit and you see them falling to their death. And again, she's the MVP in this episode for me, definitely. She is, yeah, definitely. Um, really, really good. Almost a redemption for her. It's not a full redemption because she's been pretty despicable in some ways, especially yeah, she's with Ali and stuff. But it's as close to redemption as she was going to get. And they did use a bit of slow motion in the fall, Jack. You saw that as they fell, she stayed kind of wrapped around them as they were falling. You could see them actually spinning in the air. And that's led to a few people that are desperate, basically, for Jogsu to have survived this. She landed on top of her. Um, that, yeah, if he landed on top of her, he could possibly survive. A few people that are quite smart and scientific have said that from that height, she wouldn't be enough to cover it for him. He would still die based on the impact and stuff. But he's he has become a, a character that, although you hate him, you find quite interesting. And there is quite a lot of stuff online, people desperate for him to have survived this. But I don't think he did. Yeah, back to the VIPs and... Uh... The one that's obsessed with sex, the sixty-nine guy, he's now trying to get John Ho to remove his mask so that you can see his face. But John Ho is smart. We've figured this out before. Always on the ball. He knows if I take my mask off here, game's up, basically. So he says, let's go somewhere private. And they leave to go to a VIP room. Uh, do you think this guy would have left if his number 96 wasn't dead at this point? I think he's just lost interest in it now because he's no money riding on it. Like, okay, I'm going to get get a blowjob off this guy, whatever it is he's going to do, you know? Possibly, yeah. I think he said he had a million, a million um, bet on it, so I don't know if a million, you don't know how big a million is to him. The other guy seemed quite impressed by that amount. But once he's out, I suppose it's just a power thing as well, Jack, isn't it? These guys have got so much power and the, the opportunity to take advantage of a, a servant or a waiter or something like that probably really, really appeals to him. He also gets to do it in front of all the other people, like say, I'll leave you as watch this, I'm away for more fun sort of thing, it's just pretty awful in the scene until until um, un- until John Ho takes control of it, it's mega uncomfortable, it's horrible It's really creepy isn't it? 
Absolutely. Just, yeah, it's, not, it's not nice to watch at all. Cut back to the bridge. There's only four players left and we've got a wee guy that we've not really spoke to before and that's number 13. He, but he turns out to be a former glassmaker who can tell the difference between real glass and tempered glass by sort of looking at the refraction or whatever. He can spot the difference. And he manages to get across four, I think, or three or four, pretty, pretty easily. And then the front man says, right, um, I'm going to be a dickhead here and turns the lights off. Hmm. It's a bit of shit, I think. <laughs> It was a bit shit. Um, it's quite interesting because they're, they're obviously not mic'd up at this point because they don't know that's why he's doing it. They come to the conclusion. Um, they, he says they thinks he's looking at the glass, whereas he said that out loud that that's what he's doing. So we as the viewer know that, but they're kind of not sure. They bring up his um, report and they see that he did have a job as a glassmaker. And what I found interesting, Jack, was the VIPs then said, oh, I didn't notice that in the report. Like, so these VIPs are obviously getting access to all the personnel files and all that information about all the players as well, which I found like even more bizarre that, I don't know, if you're a VIP, they send you a PDF document with 456 players' profiles on it. It's just madness, and they're looking through it, and proper Big Brother stuff. Yeah, but when, if you're a, you're a betting man occasionally, same as myself, you put the occasional bet on, now we tend to maybe just bet on the football and go on a little bit of gut instinct, but it's basically looking at the form table or yeah. the, like the, the horses, like how well they've done the last six races or whatever like that. So if you're a betting man, you'll understand that form and sort of knowing that, well, this horse was sick last week would put you off putting money in the horse. So yeah, it's kind, right, yeah. it kind of makes sense. But yeah, it's just, it's just sickening that. It's just bizarre. <laughs> it's what, bizarre did, um, what did you think about the front man turning the lights off here? I, I'm a bit conflicted by this because it is a dickhead move but I, I think when you break it down if this guy has got an expert opinion on glass that's an unfair advantage he's got which we know the guy hates he hates anything like that however it's not that unfair because everybody behind him is just going to follow him and they'll all, be, they'll all get the same thing so I think this is a dickhead move because he didn't, he didn't want the 8 people that were left or however many it was was it only 4 left at this point? was it only 4 sorry? Oh, four, yeah, sorry, four. I just, I just don't think he wanted four surviving. Right, okay, I don't think it was particularly fair, considering he goes on about fairness all the time. It's, a, it's covering his arse a bit, I suppose. He should have known that, maybe. If he was in charge of running the games, he should know that one of them is a glassmaker and he's made a fucking whole game about glass. That's his fault for being loose when it comes to designing these games, because it appears these games are designed ad hoc. Um, for the VIPs because they they seem like again it's just the way they're written like a bit thick a bit stupid as well like when they show them the mini game they go oh, what is that well, it's quite obviously a bridge you fucking idiots <laughs> like I don't understand why they're asking questions like that but again it's just the way that they're written I think there was a bit about it as well that I, kind of questions as well for me was they made them all take off their shoes and you saw all the shoes on the platform just all lying there. Nobody thought to pick up their shoes and throw their shoes at the glass and see if it broke. Which I like to—I like to think that I would have the common sense to try. Obviously, I wouldn't. I would just lie in a crumbled heap, crying in the corner if I was actually in this game. But in my head, I'd be like, "Right, guys, get a shoe, throw a shoe at each bit, hard as you can, and see if it breaks the glass." Yeah, I don't know. Even tempered glass, I don't know how easy that is to break with a shoe. But if you—if you were thinking like that, then it would be something to try. You would be trying anything at this moment in time, even taking your top off and taking your zip off and trying to 
like not how when they were looking I suppose like the the glassmaker after the lights went out you can tell the difference with the sound, right? So um John who has to pass him his marble. Why didn't they try and rip a zip off or something and they not get zips that they could have tried to ping it as well? So again I I don't know if again over analysing it or just you're not thinking particularly straight um at this point. But he throws the marble, it goes ding 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 and then turns around and goes, I need another one to listen to the other class basically and Shang Wu goes full robo killer here and just becomes a dickhead man and just murders him. Yeah, this is when he, goes, yeah, yeah. he goes full Darth Vader at this point, doesn't he? <laughs> He's like a real bad, despicable character. However, what he did enabled our hero to survive, so it's it's not all bad in, the, in this game. It's hard to judge things in this game because of the stakes involved. Um, you, you are literally protecting yourself by any means necessary, but yeah proper despicable the guy that's helped him get through the last four bits of glass and he just tosses him um, and then you have that kind of that movie trope at this point don't you have the clock ticking out of time and the hero's just making it <laughs> just making it in time there's nothing new there what I didn't like was all that glass blown up right behind them I thought that was just as dangerous as the bloody bridge like you saw their faces getting cut and all sorts of things happening with that see if it gets fucked up by it you know like really badly, so it's a bit shitty to do that. Yeah, it absolutely was. There was no, it was it was done for spectacle, and that was it. And they just didn't care the fact that all these shards of glass were going to be flying out. These guys that have just survived, they're standing on a platform, relieved, probably out of breath, and there's literally shards of super heavy, super sharp glass flying past their faces, and they do it in slow motion, so you can see it all happening. That's it, mate. That's it. Like Shang Wu, basically, now that he's just killing people. Like willy nilly, basically. Does that mean? Does that make him like the favourite? No, almost. Do you know what I mean? Like he's became, he's took to it like a duck to water. Other than the the two players that are left have at least got some morsel of goodness left in them. I think it does put him in a good position because he's he's ruthless at this point. He's. We've seen him doing manipulate people before this. We've seen him taking advantage of people before, but actually physically being the one to push someone to their death, you've not seen that from him yet, other than obviously tug of war, which is slightly different. Um, so it does put him in a position where you probably think, yeah, he is in a good place to win this, but it probably also would normally put a little bit of a target on his back between the other two, because if there's only three people left, and one of them is particularly ruthless, if you're one of the other two, you're thinking, right, me and you team up and get rid of this guy. Uh, that's our best chance here. But whether Jihan would ever do that or not, I don't know. Um, but that that would be my thoughts on that one. Yeah, the this is an attempt at satire here from from Squid Game. Basically, uh, did you enjoy? It? I didn't like this episode the first time I watched that. The second time, it's much better. So I agree with you in that sense. Although I do think it was still a little bit long in parts. It's not perfect, but they tried something different again and. There, there has been a bit of a strange reaction to the way that the VIPs have acted and stuff like that, but there might be there might be a reason for it. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute, mate, but quickly, what, what's your thought first and second time watching this? So the first time watching it, Jack, um, as I've said before in the show, I had a particular bad dose of the COVID, and I was on my couch <laughs> feeling awful, and I put this show on and watched every episode back-to-back pretty much in one go. Um, so I was six episodes in a row watching the subtitled episodes and then this one came on with these voices and these VIPs and it just jumped out and it was really loud it was quite 
it seemed odd, it seemed overacting, it just seemed really, really poor acting from these guys based on what you'd watched so far in the show. And that became quite a thing. A lot of people spoke about that. People were saying the VIP spoiled the show, it made it unwatchable, all these sorts of various sorts of things that I've read. But you know what? Watching it the second time tonight and watching it with the dubbing on for the whole episode so that we could take notes, it didn't jump out at all. I, I, I hardly even recognised it as being annoying. And I don't know if that's just because the first time it's such a shock to your senses because it's not like anything else you've seen in the show and the standard of acting and voice acting is so bad um, that it really jumps out at you on first watch and by the second one, I just kind of became accustomed to it. I was institutionalised, maybe, Jack? Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. I tend to agree with you. I think this is probably the only episode that I imagine is better uh, dubbed because of that. Yeah, I think the, the jarringness of it, all the things you said, I tend to agree with there, mate. So, um, search party for John Hostel going on, actually, just to wrap this up. One of the scuba kits is gone, but we learn that they've got tracking devices in them, obviously. So we see the front man jump into a boat with some of his uh, teammates, and basically they're hunting down John Ho, and the episode ends. Um, you find a little bit of reaction to the VIP's acting ability and the controversy sort of surrounding it. In a paper called The Guardian, which is a paper here in Britain um, that some people have certain opinions on, but um, I don't, I don't mind it. And I think the TV stuff's not bad. So um, it's, it's it's not a tabloid. It's a nice paper, but it's not annoying some people. Um, so they interviewed the VIP one actor, a guy called John D. Michaels, and uh, he does quite a lot of acting on Korean shows, playing the the token sort of American or English character, so to speak. Um, but he says it's very, very difficult. He says a lot of non-Korean performers act with dialogue, which is translated to them by a non-native, and it's sometimes even just done using Google Translate, and that's why the way they speak and the words that they choose can actually sound unnatural at times. Um, he that also said, the case for a Netflix thing, man. They kind of just Google Translated this. <laughs> not, well, we've pointed out nearly every episode, differences between the dubbed version and the... Um, Subtitled version, so uh, okay, maybe right. I don't know. Maybe um, there's also identified that wearing those masks was extremely jarring and difficult as well. Um, he said the masks were made of plaster; they were very, very heavy, and they were sitting on couches, around about twenty or thirty feet away from each other. So you were shouting basically into a, into a plaster mask, which made it all sound a little strange and stuff like that. Um, the other thing as well about this that I read in a different article was. A lot of these actors that you that they get on Korean drama to do roles like this, the voice actors to do the English parts, they're not actors, they're voiceover artists, they're guys that would normally do adverts or normally read out podcasts or read out like um audiobook sort of stuff. They're not most of them aren't actually actors. So when you combine that, combine big heavy masks, and you combine that the translation probably isn't even as good as it should be, you think you kinda have to make a little bit of a a bit of a allowance for them, and maybe not give them as hard a time as these actors have had. Um, there was there was another article where one of the one of the one of the actors actually said he felt quite suicidal after the show came out because of the reaction he was getting and all the hate he was getting online. That's not ideal. Um, what what are your thoughts then on on the VIPs? Um, what do they represent and things like that? Because this is stuff that I've not particularly looked into. So you take over as the expert here, mate. So for, for so for me, um, these VIPs represent exactly where the money's coming for for these games. Why there's such a high prize available? Why the production values are so high on the sets, and why 
they're able to do such massive things in terms of finding people, identifying people, and getting the right people playing the games. You, you kind of realise when you see these people, the sort of backing that they've got behind them. Um, what I found out about the masks, though, is what I found is quite interesting. Um, obviously, nobody wants to reveal their face in this game and it's setting, especially the VIPs, if they're as wealthy and powerful as, as you assume them to be. Um, however, the masks that they use do sort of give a wee bit of indication to who some of them are in the real life. Um, for example, in Korea, um, deers are considered to be divine animals that connect earth uh, shamans with the heavens. And what that normally refers to is that somebody who's linked to a deer is either a religious or a spiritual leader. Um, people that wear a tiger mask usually alludes to a Siberian tiger, which is the national animal of South Korea, which usually represents a political leader or a broker. And finally, the bull is a symbol used in financial trading. So the bull mask <laughs> probably represents <laughs> a stock trader. Yeah. Um, so in all these cases, the masks are just giving quite striking reminders of the power and the wealth these anonymous VIPs have, but also be giving you a little bit of an insight into who the real personas actually are as well. Yeah, it's really fascinating stuff, man. I never knew anything about the, the tigers or the deers or the bulls, and all of those things would lead to rich people, morally corrupt people, perhaps, <laughs> again, with the religious and spiritual leaders. So, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff there that's really quite interesting, mate. So that's... There is. And just the last point, the, the last point on the owls as well is the one that we see player number one, or we assume player number one wearing, which I thought was a cat mask as well, is actually an owl mask. And we all know, yes, I did did as well, but it's an owl, and we all know that owls are wise and old. So there we go. It's like the the animals of Farthingwood. Oh, (laughs) that traumatised me as a child. (laughs) Yeah, there used to be a cartoon on here in Britain, and the sort of leader, or the old wise person was an owl. Yeah, so that's not surprising, but I thought it was a big pussycat, yeah. Yeah, an owl, apparently. Right, we'll get to your questions queries and theories questions queries theories hi four five sixers just before we get to your part of the show we would like to let you know that we also do a show called wrong term memory where we cover some true crime some 90s pop culture a little bit of history some science a whole range of things really yeah, so if you enjoy listening to us and not just listening to us talking about Squid Game, then just search in your podcast app of choice for Wrong Term Memory or visit our website at wrongtermmemory.com. If you don't fancy doing that, you can offer your support for Player 456 by leaving a review or rating. Now, on with the show. Where Bell's been back in contact on Twitter, Colin, which is good. Um, they did play a sneaky trick about Elnam uh, and Jack's right. Ali is killed off screen, although you do see. Uh, Sangwe as the shot is fired we do see Ali in the opening scene of this episode though, I uh, love the passion and this one really did the justice episode uh, the episode justice, sorry oh, he's talking about uh, last week obviously uh, he's talking about you and your your passion for it, like, it's just a good thing we recorded that a few days after we watched it or we'd be watching it through tissues and tears So <laughs> it was there was a lot of passion on the last one yeah a um, couple of emails, which is good. So I'll, I'll do this one, you can do the next one, mate. Okay. So Alex has been in contact on email. Hi, player456 pod. Um, why do you think we never see any female guards? If we assume the decision on whether someone is selected as a guard or participant depends on the colour of the square they picked in the very first game, then surely there must be some women who took red. Do you think there are female guards? 
and that they are just never shown on screen or do the game makers only hire male guards or is it something else? There are several times the roles of men v women come up in the shows between the contestants, for example in the tug of war or while picking partners for marbles etc. But this is never explored amongst the guards. What do you think this means for the Squid Game universe? Love the show. Keep up the great work. Best of luck, Alex. I actually emailed you back, Alex, um, saying great point because it was something that had not crossed my mind. I think there will be female guards, but you just don't know, basically. Um, Yeah, I would agree with that. If you think about the volume of guards that there are, you've had very little interactions with any of them in terms of taking their masks off. So I think there is, but there hasn't been a reason to show them yet. And then a question I kind of wanted to ask as well then would be, how do the hosts get picked? So the guys that walk about with the black masks on, are they there under duress or are they part of, are they just like hired help? They come in and get their wage at the end of the night, thanks for being a waiter. Because there was women there, obviously all painted up and things like that. So I don't know if they're maybe a circle, a triangle, a square, just getting shoehorned into a different role, basically. Because you would have to trust somebody very, very much to pay them, let's say, a bartender's wage to come in and watch these guys murder people and then go home and not tell somebody. You know what I mean? So I I wonder if the the females get used for things like that, you know, like getting painted and dancing and being the hosts that way, rather than when it comes to the sort of physical side of things and, and like shooting people and sort of doing that. So I think there is a role for both, and I do think that um, it's an interesting one. But Alex, it's something I hadn't really thought about. But now you've mentioned it, yeah, I think that they're maybe getting forced to paint themselves up like leopards and shit like that. They get the ladies, maybe. Yeah. I wonder if those ladies are then going all around the world and doing that at all the Squid Games, maybe, and that's it's a permanent job for them rather than just an on-the-night wage. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's like the... Like it's the Playboy bunnies, a... basically. <laughs> ah, basically, mate. Yeah, basically. Um, Rodri, do you want to take this one then from Rodri on email again? Yeah, uh, Rodri Thomas on email. Uh, Hiya, Jack and Colin. Um, yes, boys, I love this podcast. I'm really enjoying your theories and the sheer amount of detail and foreshadowing that you both pick up on with Squid Game even though sometimes I don't think the director fully realised some of them. I'm currently on episode two, uh, part three, and I'm so glad that there's people out there that are as obsessed with this as I was. I've watched the series twice now, and I'm watching episodes sporadically through the working day because I cannot get enough of this brilliantly written piece of TV. It's often the case that when I, when I subconsciously want to watch something again and again, I feel compelled to understand why I like it so much and why others have responded so well to discuss or learn other people's opinions on it, especially those who enjoyed it. And this podcast has given me exactly that. All the best, and thanks for the poddy. Nice one, Rodri. <laughs> we got a poetry at the end there like that. Um, so no real question, just a little bit of a backslapping, Jack, for you and I, and I'll take that all day long. So thank you, Rodri. Um, well, the one thing email I think like I emailed Rodri back as well, actually. It says, even though sometimes I don't think the director fully realised some of them, we spoke about this. This guy wrote this for 10 years, and rewrote it, and rewrote it, and rewrote it. I think everything... Everything that happens happens for a reason, basically. That'd be the only thing I disagree with there. You could send another email just saying how brilliant we are if you want again, man. Um, Megan, on email. How are you, you doing, guys? A fellow Scott listening from South Lanarkshire, smiley face, good stuff. I just got up with all the podcast episodes and loved the content. It's made me want to go back and rewatch the full show and have finally 
manage to convince my husband to at least try the first episode as he is hesitant about watching it. My question is, now that you've watched the subtitled and dubbed versions, which way do you recommend watching it for a first time viewer? I've watched the dubbed version and don't mind the audio not completely matching up with the actor speaking, but my pal, my friend, um, has watched the subtitled as they couldn't handle the out-of-tune dubbing, wanting to give my husband the best possible viewing so that after the first episode he's captivated, uh, as we all have been. Cheers. My, my personal opinion is I watched it subtitled through, um, and it's not because things are out of sync, it's just because it, it just jarred straight away. Um, maybe if the first five minutes of the dubbed version didn't jar so much, I might have watched it all dubbed because that's the way it automatically comes on. But I decided pretty quickly to watch the subtitled version. So my personal opinion is watch it subtitled, um, first of all. Yeah. It's never been a... In terms of like a, the, the dubbing and the, the sync issue has never been a thing for me because if I watch it with the subtitled version, I don't know the words in Korean, so I, I, I can't follow their mouth anyway. <laughs> I don't know if it's saying the right thing at the right time regardless. Um, I think the subtitled version is the best way to watch it. However, if your husband, Megan, has been pretty resistant so far to not watch it and doesn't seem that keen on it, if that's because it's subtitled or because he doesn't usually watch subtitled stuff, then it might be better and you might have more chance of him enjoying it if you stick on a dubbed version, which would be a little bit easier and a bit more of an, an easy access for somebody that's not right into foreign drama so if that's why he's kind of held off go with dubbing if he just doesn't fancy the premise i would go with the subtitled one and then he gets the full immersion of it yeah that is it. i think we'll call it a day there colin so people have been in contact player 456 pod at gmail.com or on twitter at player 456 pod so as always colin cheers absolute pleasure mate i'm already looking forward to watching episode eight right we'll speak to you guys next week take it easy bye-bye